Welcome to the EcoCiv Podcast. This is Austin Roberts. At EcoCiv, we are collaborating with others from around the world who are working toward an ecological civilization. And on this podcast, we engage leading thinkers in conversations about the kinds of transformations required to create a more sustainable, peaceful, and equitable world. You can check out our website at ecociv.org for more information. And if you enjoy this podcast, you can help support the work that we are doing at EcoCiv by making a donation at our website. For this week's episode, EcoCiv's president, Philip Clayton, talks with James Thornton, who's an environmental lawyer and founding CEO of Client Earth, Europe's first public interest environmental law organization. A member of the bars of New York, California, and the Supreme Court of the U.S., James moved from a Wall Street law practice to found the Citizens Enforcement Project at the National Resources Defense Council in New York, where he brought some 80 federal lawsuits against corporations to enforce the Clean Water Act after the Reagan administration had stopped enforcing the law. He won these cases and embarrassed the government to start enforcing the law again. James then founded Client Earth in 2007, which now operates globally and uses advocacy, litigation, and research built on solid law and science to address the greatest challenges of our time, including biodiversity loss, climate change, and toxic chemicals. Philip talks with James about the important environmental work that he is currently involved in and his own understanding of ecological civilization. And now, Philip and James. James Thornton, thank you for joining us today on the EcoCiv podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us on the show. Pleasure to be with you. Um, normally, we move slowly from an individual's work up to the broader questions um, with an organization called Toward Ecological Civilization. One understands why that might seem rather broad. For you, however, almost uniquely among the people we've talked with, to move from the question of ecological civilization to your particular work with Client Earth and in the rest of your career and back up seems like a natural circuit. So let me just start completely openly to say, um, what is this notion of ecological civilization? Where did you learn it? And how does it affect you in your work? Well, uh, so the notion of ecological civilization uh, used uh, in those exact terms is something I actually learned from uh, the senior Chinese officials that I've been working with uh, uh, for the last uh, three years. And uh, in my meetings with them, which has been about helping the Chinese legal system uh, cope with uh, environmental problems and clean up the environment, um, uh, we got through to the deeper questions of why and along what time frame they wanted to do this. And uh, they quickly started saying that we uh, have uh, the idea of being here 2,000 years from now, as we were here 2,000 years ago. And we're very aware that we'll only be able to do that if we uh, create an ecological civilization. Uh, and I, I said very politely, uh, well, I'm, I'm aware that uh, communism uh, has as one of its many strengths the, the ability to create good slogans. Uh, is this a slogan or is it, uh, does it have a much deeper bottom than that? And uh, what then ensued was a, was a marvelous discussion in which they said, no, uh, here are the eight components of ecological civilization, uh, starting with, for example, new agricultural policy, 
for ecological civilization, new industrial policy, new energy policy, new uh, uh, economics, and uh, in my case, new um, uh, view of the legal system, would you like to join a panel uh, that is going to be reporting to the premier on uh, how to improve the rule of law to deliver ecological civilization? And I said, well, who would not be honored to do this? And that uh, that then became a fascinating uh, year and a half process with uh, senior Chinese officials, uh, senior Western uh, people like myself. And uh, what I saw was that um, the this idea of uh, ecological civilization as articulated by our Chinese colleagues is very much like something that I've been trying to talk to uh, people about in the West for also for a couple of decades. You know, what I've been saying is that uh, environmentalists like myself have been very good at articulating what the problems are. Uh, and that's understandable because the problems are relatively new. Uh, but what we haven't yet done um, is articulate a positive vision that can draw people into the future. Uh, and that a solely negative vision turns people off. Uh, and a positive vision is what's needed to bring people together and uh, give them the hope they need to make the changes we need. James, can I ask you a, a concrete question there? Um, it's clear that a broad notion of ecological civilization, the movement toward a sustainable civilization, is positive. Um, does it do any more concrete work? I mean, you have legal specialization, you understand policy development of nations, you understand the global position. If somebody said, wait a minute, I'm glad you have a notion that makes you optimistic, but how does it help us as global activists or policy experts uh, mm. actually do our work better? Mm. Well, I think in a couple of ways. Uh, one uh, is that by having this uh, holistic uh, vision of an ecological civilization, you are able to see uh, quite clearly all of the areas in which activism is required. So uh, we're, we're quite aware of activism, of activism being uh, required in, in specific arenas. For example, the Bonn uh, meeting, uh, the COP is happening in Bonn right now. So on climate change, we're very aware types of activism that need to happen. But are we as aware uh, that activism is just as needed in economics and in industrial policy and in agricultural policy and so on? Uh, I think maybe not. Uh, and if, uh, but even if we are, and even if there are some, as there are people working in each of these areas, um, do we have the sense that we all need to work together uh, and join up in order to achieve ecological civilization? And I've been having a board meeting in London uh, for Client Earth, my organization, uh, just a few days ago. And one of the main subjects of discussion was, uh, hold on, uh, we're not joined up uh, with people working uh, for women's rights uh, and for all of the other things that actually need to be part of an ecological civilization, because it's not only climate policy that will get us there. It's many other things. And that... Uh, sense of community working across all of these different media, I think, is one of the things that you get from ecological civilization. And, and it gives you hope. And listen, I mean, uh, let's not down sell hope. <laughs> not at all. So we see the hope function. We see the way that um, it moves us to a more comprehensive picture, that, that we don't just focus in on one or another issue, say parts per million of greenhouse gases, but we see the interconnection of issues, as in your example of women's uh, rights and positions. Let me ask you one last question on this topic and perhaps even more difficult. Can it help in a particular sector where the problems are so specific and yeah, global, 
So let's just take an example you mentioned, agriculture. Is there some way that folk, and this is an important one in Chinese context, some way that yep. focusing on that long-term outcome helps us with, with agriculture reform now? Well, I'm sure it does. And I mean, I can, I can try and come up with an example for you there, but I can actually give you one from the legal uh, arena because I was working on that with the Chinese. So, uh, I mean, imagining in the agricultural context, I mean, we look uh, uh, at the issue uh, in China, a lot of soil pollution, uh, much worse in China than in any Western country that I've ever worked in, uh, and uh, the poisoning of food as a result. Uh, and what they're saying is, uh, we need this, uh, we need to uh, think about not just short-term ways of cleaning up uh, the soil that we're growing crops in now, but in the much longer term of uh, creating a way to have uh, fertile soil and good crops that allow us to not have this problem emerge again over the next 2,000 years. So it's it's a very long-term view, which brings you out of the short-term problem focus into a way of saying, how do we build sustainability in so that we don't uh, inadvertently get to the next set of problems. So I think I think it does that. In the legal arena where we were just working, what was interesting is you look at um, you you tend to look at things uh, in areas uh, of specialty, you know, across any any uh, any dimension. But but in in law, you'll say, well, okay, now let's work on cleaning up soil. Now let's work on reducing the amount of carbon uh, in emissions uh, and so on. But what we began to look at was systemically across the legal system, um, we may uh, improve this or this or this, but unless at the same time the legal system uh, is more transparent, uh, gives more rights to participate uh, for uh, the people, uh, and uh, there are more rights of access to justice so that when the rights guaranteed by particular laws to clean air and so on aren't given, they can go to court. Uh, or some tribunal and uh, ask for justice, unless those larger things, which aren't environmental per se, are also uh, guaranteed, then the environmental improvements aren't going to give you ecological civilization because the the whole system has to be open, transparent, and uh, participatory and give people rights. And what was exciting to see about that in that discussion was we immediately got from uh, cleaning up the environment to the empowerment of people. Yeah. The uh, parallels with your work and what we're doing are remarkable. I think that's why we're doing this brief interview. Uh, we're setting up 200 workshops at the World Parliament of Religions on justice as an organization called Ecological Civilization. So that connection between the justice in the broadest sense and an ecological civilization in the broadest sense, it seems deeper, tighter than most people would realize, no? Yeah, it's it's absolute. Um, you know the uh, uh, so uh, justice. Uh, you are not going to get an ecological civilization without uh, without increasing justice, uh, and that's economic justice. It's justice across genders, uh, and uh, it's environmental justice. At least those three. Uh, if we were to press it, I'm sure there are, there are more arenas. Mm -hmm. uh, as we're writing this book, what is ecological civilization? People are asking, what are the synonyms? If I can't get that word, are there any other words that are being used in other contexts that might help a listener get a fuller sense of what this admittedly somewhat abstract concept means? Do you know any mm -hmm. synonyms? Do you use any in your work? Have you found parallels to the Chinese concept in other contexts? 
Well, uh, the best word I came up with, I uh, hadn't broken through to that uh, formulation until I, I heard it from uh, from the Chinese. But uh, what I had been using uh, in a more colloquial sort of uh, term was a positive future. So uh, if you imagine what a positive future looks like, uh, this then is a more, in a way, technocratic uh, uh, way to break that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and what's a positive future? A positive future is the future in which... Uh, you know, your, your grandchildren uh, thrive and the ecosystems uh, on which they uh, depend and are intimately interconnected with also thrive. It's, it's, it's really very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Corton has an important book, Change the Story, Change the Future. And Positive mm-hmm. Future seems uh, to have that goal. Is there a way that we can or should tell our story today, either as global citizens or members of a particular country, UK or Denmark or Nigeria? The story Well, question. I think, yes, the story question is incredibly important. And I think that uh, uh, is uh, up to the, the people in um, you know, Denmark, Nigeria, and everywhere else. Because um, uh, the, the human story takes place uh, only in local situations. Um, and there's a positive story to be told everywhere. You know, and uh, I work uh, client earthworks in five African countries, uh, and it has been enormously eye-opening uh, to work. Uh, and there, a lot of the work we do is to uh, uh, empower forest-dependent uh, uh, communities. Uh, and it's been enormously empowering to learn from uh, the people. And in this case, it's Ghana, Gabon, Republic of Congo, uh, Liberia, and Cote d'Ivoire about their vision their experience, what they're looking for, what justice looks like in terms of uh, uh, taking care of the forests uh, that they have traditionally and still uh, depend on. Uh, um, An experience in telling story uh, that I've had recently, which has been uh, very encouraging, was that my partner and I, my husband and I, wrote a book called Client Earth. Uh, And uh, uh, that's uh, it's not just about the uh, the organization client earth, but it's about it's about taking the earth as your client, um, uh, which is the whole idea of client earth. We're a public interest law firm, and we take the earth as our client and everybody who lives upon her. And uh, so we wrote the story of, uh, uh, of not just me, but many people using law in the public interest, starting in America, uh, also in Europe, in Africa, and in China. And then we've gone around the world uh, and uh, had um, in, a book, in a book tour and talked to people about, about this story of using law to protect people and the planet. And it's been a, a marvelous experience because uh, the halls have been full. I mean, an amazing one was we were invited to Australia and uh, the Sydney Opera House Theater was full. It was packed. You know, uh, you think, wow, how lucky are we to be talking to people in this way? Uh, and then you tell... Uh, stories about, uh, you know, it's been possible, people have used law in this way to help people in this way. Um, And at the end of it, every single time, what people have said uh, from uh, hearing the stories and from reading the book is, you've given me hope. I had no hope, and you've given me hope. And my life is different now. Now I'm going to find my own way to protect the environment and work in my community. And you think, well, you know, life is good. This is, you know, uh, if you can share this hope. Uh, and it's just by telling a story, you know, and that's where the hope comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have also found the same thing. Isn't it remarkable that this framework of a future, which is a new civilization, would be concrete enough, exciting enough to people 
to, to bring hope. Let me ask you a concrete question. Uh, the book tour has received amazing coverage. I would guide listeners, for example, to the Guardian article in September. It was about the ninth or seventh. Uh, but people are startled that you and your firm could win so many cases in so many different countries with radically different legal systems and precedents. How is it possible that, that you could have success across so many different contexts? That's surely not just the story. Well, no, it's a story. I mean, and it's a simple story. So um, what you do is um, uh, you start with uh, the goal and the goal in, uh, for example, cleaning up the air um, is to uh, save people's health um, and reduce uh, carbon emissions. Uh, and then uh, because uh, it is a very serious problem uh, and because the law all through Europe has given a context in which you can address this serious problem, you can frame your goal uh, in the law. And then we find uh, from country to country, uh, citizens groups and lawyers who are interested in working with us uh, and making these arguments. Um, and we've won every one of these cases, you know, and uh, what, what's, what's really good is that uh, I also see that uh, these cases are taking judges. Uh, in Europe, the judges tend to be more conservative than I grew up in the U.S. Uh, and indeed, there are some conservative judges in the U.S., but, but there are a lot of progressive judges uh, and uh, who, are, who are comfortable with environmental cases. In Europe, uh, it, um, traditionally, the legal system is rather more uh, conservative. Uh, but by by telling the very compelling story that thousands of people uh, are dying early of air pollution uh, in every one of these places, 400,000 across Europe, according to the EU, are dying early of air pollution. And this is in Europe. I mean, you know, come on. Uh, so uh, the situation is rather dire and the, the facts are the government's own facts. Uh, and when appropriately told as a story within the legal uh, way of telling a story uh, in court, the judges have all been moved uh, to find for us and to go beyond what their normal uh, comfort zone is. So in Germany, for example, the judges uh, in uh, the judge in Stuttgart, which is the home of Mercedes-Benz and Porsche, said, unless to the government, you clean up the air uh, by a certain date in 2018 uh, to the legal limit, I am going to issue a ban myself against diesel vehicles coming into Stuttgart. Uh, and this isn't the home of Mercedes. You know, uh, this is a wonderful thing because what it shows is the opening of the minds of, uh, of these judges who are taking on board that this is a public health issue. And my job is to take care of people, not just make a dry legal ruling, but my job is actually to use my office uh, in order to take care of the community. And you see that happening and, uh, and it's very exciting. That's, that's a remarkable tale because most people outside of the law wouldn't realize that the same story you've been talking about is at the center of your incredible successes in the courtroom as well. Um, many people who uh, tell the story of the movement toward ecological civilization and the dangers um, choose a bad guy. And it's often the extremely large and powerful corporations in a particular country or the billionaires mm -hmm. of that country or the multinational corporations and their role in global trade, especially the so-called North versus South. Do you tell the story that way? Do you doubt that account? Tell us a little bit about your response to that standard answer. Well, um, I may have started off telling the story that way, but uh, 
but I've been practicing uh, Buddhist practice for many years. And now, now the way I look at it is that um, the enemy isn't uh, isn't a, p- a person or a group of people, but are the uh, are the mental poisons of uh, ignorance and greed and uh, and anger. Um, and we all have them. Uh, some people manifest them more than others. But uh, for me, uh, using the law in the way we do is uh, is a form of uh, education. It's a form of uh, conversation and education. Now, with some people, uh, the education goes quickly. They're receptive. With others, uh, in order to get the conversation going, you have to really beat them over the head. But um, but in either way, either way, it's a conversation. And then it's a conversation about what's right. You know, um, mm-hmm. um, I would like to ask you, if you had the chance to structure the next Parliament of the World's Religions, 12,000, mm. 15,000 people from around the world, motivated by the strongest grassroots force on the planet, which is religious belief and practice, and you, you came with your interest in the ecological civilization and in justice, how would you... How would you get that message across to people in hundreds and hundreds of workshops, plenary sessions lasting, you know, two or three hours? How would you message that one, since you're good with stories? That's a great question, which I haven't thought about before. I mean, uh, one of the things I I have wondered about is um, how best to capture this uh, quite simple notion of we all want to live together. Um, in a world which is a healthy world uh, and a peaceful world and a world of justice and love. How do we capture those elements um, uh, connected with uh, uh, with nature in three religions? Um, and the problem I face when I think about it is that um, the religions, uh, the major religions, uh, all formed before we had ecological problems. Uh, and therefore, uh, there are very articulate ways of talking about uh, dealing with one's uh, fellow human beings, um, but uh, that they haven't articulated a way uh, of uh, talking about taking care of the world in the same way uh, as uh, the Ten Commandments is full of how one takes care of one's relationships with people, but not with the earth, for example. Other religions quite similar. And it really is because the religions formed in a time before ecological problems were upon us. So how do we update uh, the religions by thinking about uh, humans in the context of a living world is is the question. Uh, but uh, if you realize maybe, maybe the maybe uh, maybe a guided meditation of some type about uh, you know if you're uh, if you are uh, a responsible uh, person in any religion you're honorable and uh, you love your fellow human beings in some way and deal with them honorably. Uh, but in a guided meditation, you can see that even if that's your sole goal in life, it will be thoroughly undermined uh, by a, uh, an environment that's falling apart. Um, right now, imagine that Syria uh, has the problems it has because it's the worst drought in 2,000 years, which is what some of the experts are saying. Well, uh, no, no amount of uh, good um, uh, interhuman conduct is going to quickly take care of the problems of Syria because it's moved on too far. So even if we are good Muslims and good Christians and uh, so on, uh, uh, the problem of the uh, deterioration of the environment has become so deep that our normal uh, frame of reference 
doesn't get us to a solution. So we, if we can imagine seeing that happen, then we maybe begin to imagine how being a good Muslim or being a good Christian uh, necessarily implicates taking care of the rest of the world in order to take care of people. <laughs> um, Just well, a point. You better watch out about talking about a guided meditation for 12,000 people because you might just get an invitation to lead one. <laughs> I might have to come if you invited me. <laughs> um, uh, do you, are you optimistic that religions can update in this way that you've been describing? I'm optimistic about everything I need to be optimistic about, and that's one of them. <laughs> and certainly there are, uh, there are people within every one of the religions that I'm aware of, uh, that I know anything about. There are people working on this, you know, and, uh, I mean, for example, it's very interesting to see uh, in the uh, um, uh, the born again community in America um, that there are are people who are are very very articulate about creation care, um, and uh, that's very encouraging to me. Uh, two brief questions to close. Uh, people may be listening to this talk or the hundreds of others you've given, and say, "I'm not in the context to bring a lawsuit against a major government." I'm a small person in a village or a small town. I'm an unimportant person in a large city. What would you have me do? I won't have your impact, but I want to have some. What would you, what would you tell me? Well, uh, I mean, two things, I think. One is that uh, you can begin by taking care of uh, your relationships uh, immediately uh, because you have an enormous impact on everybody that you meet during the course of the day. Uh, and those relationships are part of the environment. Uh, so that if you're uh, taking care of people, you're taking care of the environment. Beyond that, um, to become aware of all of your impacts on the environment. Uh, you know, the degree to which you uh, can save energy, uh, you can recycle, all of those things. But if you have a little more money and can go beyond that, uh, you might learn about the environment uh, and support an environmental group. Because you don't yourself have to bring lawsuits, but you can support a group that works on saving habitat or giving clean water uh, where it's not available. And there are there are thousands of environmental groups that are worth supporting. And even a little bit of support is very important. Fantastic. And a final question, Mr. Thornton. You have uh, said that you are optimistic about those things where you have to be optimistic. Um, and one of those must be the transition to an ecological civilization. Could you hmm. tell us in closing, starting from today until you know, inshallah, we are finally reaching that place. What what does the transition look like? In the I don't mean detail by detail, but in the biggest sense of a mm. transition of humankind, what mm. some vision of from here to there, in three mm. great steps, or however you conceive it. Mm. Well, that that's a wonderful question, and uh, uh, and I don't think anybody knows it, but I think uh, we already see the signs of it beginning, uh, and I think it will surprise us. Uh, and one sign of it beginning uh, is that the Chinese, which is something most uh, people don't know in the West, have become so extremely concerned uh, about cleaning up the environment. Uh, and they're going to do it no matter what. And I've heard from the senior officials, no matter what anyone else does in the world, we understand that this is in the interest of our people. So we're going to do it. So one thing is you know, the country which is the greatest polluter. Uh, and the one that many people thought was most remote from good action in this area has become perhaps the, already the world leader uh, in, in cleaning up. So that's one thing. 
that's an unexpected and wonderful step. That's a breakthrough. The other breakthrough uh, is the Paris Agreement now uh, on climate change, uh, which was signed a couple of years ago. And uh, here we have now every country in the world, uh, the Amer- America is still signed up, uh, and uh, the president can't take America out until the day after the next presidential election, which is interesting. Uh, but assuming that America leaves, it will be the only country. There were two other holdouts, Nicaragua and Syria. And we talked about Syria a minute ago. Syria is in terrible shape. But last week, Syria said, we're going to sign the Paris Agreement. Uh, Nicaragua said it a few weeks earlier. So at the moment, every country in the world is either signed up or about to sign up uh, to uh, make uh, enormous transition uh, in, in order to prevent climate change. And the Paris Agreement leaves it up to the country to uh, as how to do it, which is a good idea. But it's a very serious commitment to thorough change. Uh, and that's thorough change in how we use energy. And that will get you into the other elements of ecological civilization in that it will also change agriculture and it will also change industrial policy, uh, for example. And then we need to make sure that it also picks up the elements of justice uh, and uh, social uh, equality. Um, but those two things, the, the biggest polluter in the world has decided to really shift and is shifting as quickly as it can, and that every country in the world now uh, has signed up to uh, to the Paris Agreement. Those, I think, are two remarkable shifts, uh, unforeseeable, uh, really, uh, 10 years ago. So uh, the ne- those are two huge steps to ecological civilization, and then the next ones will surprise us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what's great, that they will be surprising. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's the beauty of a notion that's so broad, nobody could possibly know how we'll get there. Uh, and yet you show there is a way to see it step by step. We can't know them all as a thing that human species can achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we better achieve it if we want to stay a species. <laughs> exactly. James Sarton, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Um, your success on behalf of your client Earth is, is remarkable. I don't think anyone globally has ever had that sort of success. And um, the thought of that same person leading 12 to 15,000 people from around the world in a guided meditation as a Zen priest is a remarkable thought. We, we <laughs> thank you very much. Best thank wishes you very and thanks much. for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye now.